Welcome to App Etc, conversations with founders and leaders of product businesses in the Salesforce ecosystem. Today, I'm speaking with Wes Nolte, the Chief Technology Officer at SalesTrip. SalesTrip is disrupting travel and expenses. SalesTrip is founded by the team behind Invoiceit, an app exchange solution for billing and invoicing that was acquired by Steelbrook in 2015. SalesTrip launched in 2019 and in 2020 was hit by a global pandemic resulting in worldwide lockdown and travel ban. This makes 2020 a tough time to launch a travel and expenses startup. Wes has worked leading the cloud team at the Telegraph newspaper in London and was very early on the team at Tequila, which he helped grow and was eventually acquired by Accenture in 2015. As an early leader of the ecosystem, Wes was one of the original Salesforce MVPs, started the London Salesforce Developer Meetup and co-wrote one of the first books on Salesforce with Jeff Douglas and was an early Salesforce certified technical architect. At Tequila, we've started a very successful training program to coach a number of architects on the team who would go on to pass the review board, including me. Today, I'm speaking with Wes about his entry into the Salesforce ecosystem and his time at Tequila and now SalesTrip. We focus on some different ways for enabling trials of your app exchange product, including test drives, trial force, and using in-app guidance to enable the trial. I'm not going to go all the way back because that's a little too much history. So I moved to London during the financial crisis, 2008. My background before then was software developer, multiple languages, no Salesforce experience out of sheer desperation, took the first job I could get, which happened to be a Salesforce ISV job. This was obviously in the very early days of um, Salesforce, the Salesforce app exchange and Salesforce making this technology available. So it was a lot more crude. (laughs) There were, it was, quite a lot more difficult back then, but it was still a hell of a lot of fun. So I fell in love with the technology at that first job and then ended up blogging about it. Fairly quickly moved on to a customer at the Telegraph. So I headed up their cloud tech team there, wrote the first independent book on Salesforce, was approached by some people that were starting a consultancy, which later became Tequila. So I was the lead architect there worked with Andy, worked with a number of other very, very intelligent people over a four or five year period. And we sold that business to Accenture. At Accenture, I was one of the uh, directors in their cloud practice for the UK. I worked on their largest account um, for about two years, learned some interesting things, but my heart has always been in product. So one of my previous customers who wasn't at Tequila, they were an ISV, the people that started Invoiceit. They were looking for their next adventure. Their company had been bought by Steelbrook, subsequently bought by Salesforce. And we started discussing things and there were lots of the the key ingredients for a successful company there. There was a good idea. There were people in the industry. There was some funding and they needed someone on the technology side to set things up, build an engineering practice and get things going. And that's where I am today. What was your relationship previously? You'd worked with that team previously or in, or while you're at Tequila? What, what was the background there? So I didn't have a direct relationship. I had met our now CEO, Manoj, before. So the point where we started SalesTrip, he was still working for Salesforce. So he was an investor in, in our business, in the SalesTrip business. So I had an awareness of their solution. I had consultants that had worked with it in terms of implementation and Manoj reached out to me and said, hey, I've got an idea. Do you want to discuss it? There's something that I think we can do that can be massively successful. 
is an industry that is owned by a, a few big players and they're no longer innovating the typical story, right? Companies that were once innovators and grew massively have since been acquired, slowed down, no longer innovating. And the industry, I, I, I'm not a fan of the term, but the industry is ripe for disruption. So let's be those disruptors. As you stood up that engineering team, what were some of the things that you were looking for when you were building out a team? Or what did you want to do building out sales trip as a product around the Salesforce ecosystem? That's a good question. So ultimately my technology vision is that sales trip will deliver a travel and expense platform, not any, not just a single application, uh, but that platform needs to start somewhere. We need to deliver something that's valuable that people want to buy and gets us making revenue in the short term. And by platform, platform, I mean that eventually we will have a number of applications, perhaps even resell our API to people that want to integrate with it. However, because of certain team members' experiences with Salesforce and my experience with Salesforce as a technology, but also within their business, it made sense to, to start there with our first application being something that was on the app exchange. Also, you benefit from the might of Salesforce if they find your application or your product is something that is compelling to them, they will help you get into other businesses. They have an enormous customer base in Northwoods, over 100,000 customers, millions of users. And getting your first few customers as a brand new company is quite difficult. So this helped us get over that first hurdle and then also benefit from a partnered ecosystem instead of going at it alone. So it's a combination of, we know the ecosystem, we know the technology, Mm-hmm. Manoj has been in the mothership, <laughs> yep. having gone, gone through his experience with Invoice It, Steelbrick, Salesforce CPQ. And it's like, well, it seems like a, an ideal place to start. You've got a, a pool of customers there and an ecosystem that's there for you. Exactly. And there, there are other advantages, right? You can build very quickly on the Salesforce platform. You don't need to create virtualized infrastructure, although we, we have two parts to our platform. One the heavy lifting is done by something that we own entirely, but at least the Salesforce application benefits from not having to deal with all of that DevOps, traditional DevOps stuff. So your Salesforce application is as a client for your, for your backend. It does do more than that because part of the power of Salesforce's platform are things like the workflow engine. So, you know, the various ways to create business processes on the platform very quickly, the ways to model your data, the way to use other data that might already be in Salesforce. So it's not exactly, it kind of is a client, but it's a bit more than that because we want to take advantage of what Salesforce gives you out of the box. Building your own reporting engine from scratch is a multi-year endeavor, whereas now we just get it. Single sign-on, for example, is just there and that kind of thing. I've seen you sharing on LinkedIn and we had a conversation about it in a, in a Slack channel around trials and how you're using some of the tools that Salesforce and the App Exchange give you around managing trials for customers. What led you to start focusing on that as an area that you want to spend some time on? And how did you end up with the trial for solution that you've ended up with? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. So uh, as a startup, you're always trying to, one of your biggest challenges is resource management. So you only have so much time, you only have so much money and you only have so many people and you need to maximize how much uh, 
efficiency, how much throughput you get out of that combination. So we've been running since February, 2018, and our focus has been building features. Obviously no one's going to buy a product if you don't have the, the right level features, if you have no features, unless you're really good at really trial, it does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're a really good salesperson, I think Larry Ellison sold the first Oracle database with nothing to the CIA. So, but we're not Larry Ellison. So, so we, we spent a lot of time building table stakes features, what we call table stakes features. So things that will allow us to compete at a fair level against other products that we um, consider our competitors and then a little bit more. All right. So we've got some value propositions that no one in the world has. And then while we were doing that, we obviously had to maintain our various marketing channels, our ability to give demos, our ability to allow people to sign up for free trials. But we felt that we weren't able to put enough time into them for them to be sufficiently polished that we could just give them to someone. So we did a lot of handholding and have done that through the past two years and, and part of the marketing and sales process. But James has put a significant amount of time into our trial tools process. So we decided we got into the point where we could finally publish it and someone could just sign up and it would, it would have, it would be pre-set up, but it'd have a base level of data and a person could look at it and they could just get running. Well, also we use Salesforce's in-app guidance, which presented some challenges, but still someone can sign up and, and using the in-app guidance, nothing but the application, they, they can see the benefits of it. You touched on a few things there. So something that I talked to our team about is this idea that with Salesforce, you get an awful lot of capability. Mm-hmm. But with that, it, it makes the initial setup and run a lot more difficult. How do we provide that flexibility and that kind of opinionated path and try and get the, not the best of both worlds, but the right balance? Because customers expect it to be configurable and flexible. That's kind of what they're buying into with yeah. the platform. But as a product owner, you want that customer to see that success path very quickly, especially in a trial. And that can be difficult when there are these design patterns like you open up a tab list and all these tabs like accounts and opportunities and cases starts to appear that's got hasn't really got a lot to do with your product so so it's difficult to kind of set that experience of what should the customer see next what's the path they should follow and it looks like you've done that with in that guidance is that right so that's part of it so early on so we we i think one of our first five customers was an oem OEM company. So they had no previous experience with Salesforce and they have been a wonderful customer, but we have realized that we have poured a huge disproportionate amount of time into that customer because it's been an education about Salesforce at the same time as been an education about sales trip. And although that is a key part of the market for us, eventually we have decided off of the back of a few experiences like that to focus on our time on customers that have Salesforce already so that we don't need to educate them about the platform itself. We won't, if an OEM customer comes our way, we won't turn them away, but our marketing efforts and everything else we're doing, I think are kind of in that direction for now. Mm-hmm. In terms of onboarding customers, so our application is, is quite rich. It's very simple to get the base level functionality up and running, but it's, as you say, you know, it is highly configurable. So the in-app guidance has been good. We looked at, I looked at a number of other options in terms of walking people through setups. 
And unfortunately, anything outside of in-app guidance requires weird tooling setups that just aren't appropriate. Um, the in-app guidance, I think, is something that Salesforce is going to evolve. So there's some things that I would like it to have it doesn't yet have, but at least when someone arrives on the home tab the first time they've installed our free trial, there's a pop-up, this draws your attention, there's a video, there's some text, there's a link out, and there are popped up tabs through the application to, to guide you. So I think with a combination of the application being pre-set up, preceded with data and those videos, people have a good chance of seeing the value of our product from the get-go. Outside of the product, we also have marketing campaigns that, that track people and you know, there's, a nurture, there's a nurture program for each of them to make sure that there's someone in touch and available if they need to talk to anyone. So when you go to an app exchange listing, you've got options to install it, watch a video, flick through the carousel of pictures, you can do a test drive, mm -hmm. or, or you can do an install. Um, and so the path that you've got is you, you, when the customer chooses to install, you actually take them through the, the trial force, new trial flow, and takes you to your website where they start this flow of installing the application in a trial force org. Is that right? So, the one sentence summary is we install it into a trial force environment. So it's standalone from the current environment. Yeah. Um, there are quite a few options. I think they can be probably be confusing for people that aren't familiar with Salesforce or the app exchange. The route that we've chosen is slightly different uh, because we encountered some bugs using some of Salesforce's newer features when using in combination with trial force. So instead of, the traditional route of you signing in directly from the app exchange, we decided to jump um, anyone out to a mini site that we own. So if you hit the get it now button, instead of doing stuff on that website, you jump out, you hit a page that's entirely ours, you fill in some details, and if you select the right option, an environment will be spun up for you, and then you're emailed with all the subsequent set up emails and a bit of information on how to complete the trial. So that route has given us some additional flexibility, which we found essential as well as working around. I think the bug that we have encountered is, has, will be fixed in the next release. It's a bug that has to do with um, in-app guidance prompts being cached when you sign up from a trial spun up directly from the app exchange, a very specific bug. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but the product manager is like Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> but a, a bug you would have encountered if you use in-app guidance in your trial force template. So people that don't know, trial force is really a way that you can configure an org and then say that org has got my product installed in it. It's got some sample data in in it. It's got the in-app guidance. I guess I guess that in-app guidance isn't in your product, just right. in the trial force org. Yeah, yep. and then you kind of put that all to one side and say, that's the template. No one touch it. That's the template that we're going to then copy new orgs from. So when someone fills in that form, it actually copies that org, creates a new one for that individual person, and then they log into that copy of it. That's kind of the basic understanding. Exactly. And by having a mini site, having it outside of the app exchange, it allows us to do some really cool things. So we can have multiple templates um, depending on some options that people choose, right? So we could have industry specific templates. It also means that we have, we can do things after someone has installed, well, after someone's trial environment has been provisioned. So for example, when you provision one of our trials, we deploy a reporting package over the top 
but in theory, you could also populate it with data because you have access to the hooks that tell you uh, when the, the trial environment setup is completed. So you could install additional packages, create data, augment things that are already there, and of course, choose a specific template. That's really cool. I didn't think about that, that, that idea of saying what industry you're in or you know, what do you want to see? I can see that being quite valuable. The, the other option you have there with the app exchange is a test drive. I always liken a test drive to like just kicking the tires because it's not really a trial. And with a test drive, you set up an environment, configure it as you like, and then random people just log into that same environment, mm-hmm. um, which is a bit strange, especially if you've got an application like ours, which kind of encourages people to create data, like create tasks. It means that two people logging in at the same time and see the, the remnants of someone else's experience, which yeah. is a bit a bit strange we have to put some things in there to kind of try and keep it clean i'd say that's on the different end of the scale in terms of a trial my experience with trials anyway is that some people talk about what they want to do a trial when they really just want to click it click around or kick the tires and some people want to do a trial where they really want to get invested in it they essentially want to use it in real life or use it for an extended period of time and that's kind of what the trial force and the and the, the test driver for but both of them are quite difficult to, or a test drive is quite difficult to build an experience around because yeah. when someone's logging into it, you don't know who that person is or if it's a new person or if it's, you know, if you go from one screen to another, you, don't, you, you, you could have multiple people logged in because they actually all get logged in as the same user. So it's, a, it's a really difficult experience to build uh, or a difficult environment to build a, like a, an ex, a guided experience for your customers for. Did you explore test drive much at all in that case? So we we haven't explored it too much. I think, so we initially, we had created something like the trial force template for our salespeople. Mm -hmm. Uh, So salespeople are doing inbound, outbound activities. They're talking to someone. They want to give a demo. They, They use a form that we have inside of our Salesforce org to spin up an environment they give the person that demo and then they hand over the credentials saying, all right, you, we've showed you some stuff. Here you go. Take a look. Mm-hmm. We found that to be quite successful. And so we didn't need to do too much to polish that and make it accessible through the app exchange. I think we would probably, the next thing we might want to do is to give someone access to the application to install it into their own environment but we would almost always want to talk to those people first because at the moment we don't have anything that they could install over the top that would do the baseline configuration for them. So before we do that and offer it as a standalone experience, which I'm not sure if you know about Salesforce, there's a Q called QHome. So the Salesforce sales SEs, the sales engineers, they have access to a place where they can see all of the different ISV offerings and they can choose to provision a particular environment and there are instructions on how to set your application up. So you've got two options, either you can give them the step-by-step instructions, which can be very detailed, or you can create a secondary package that installs over the top of your package and does the pre-configuration for them. So I think trying to, trying to get those two things at the same time, because effectively they are the same, would be our next area of focus. It's all about trying to reduce friction. As you said, the application is highly configurable. You're sitting on top of Salesforce, which is a highly configurable platform on its own. People need some guidance. 
on what to look at if there's not going to be a person talking them through it. I think that'll probably, that'll definitely be our next focus. Uh, actually, I wasn't aware of the, the second part around providing a package to configure it. I, I talked about this idea of the product needs to be flexible enough and like it's the balance of being flexible and opinionated. We, we try and create those opinionated defaults, um, then veer from them if you choose to. So what we try and do in those, in that post install is set up, well, what are those defaults? Um, and especially in trials, how do we refresh sample data and things like that, which could be similar for like, SEs trying to use the tool too. Something I did notice about, about the trial was <laughs> I, I got quite interested in this about a year and a half ago. When I was looking at our task free trials. We used to run 30 day trials just because that's what people did. And then struck us that no one's actually using it or after a week they have made a decision or not. So we yeah. reduced that down to five or seven days. You've got yours at about 15 days. Was there any science behind that or is just, let's just pick a number and see what happens. So I'm not sure if you had the same experience, but it was, it was debated quite a lot for some of the points that you just mentioned. By the time that someone is forming a trial, they've probably done a lot of research on your application already. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for the last few pieces of information to make a decision. And that's not going to take them more than a few days. Sometimes they get busy, legitimately, they get busy and they do something else. Otherwise, they're probably not going to buy. So we did have it at seven days originally. I think just to test out, I guess, the, the creating a sense of urgency, essential, an essential tool in managing small children and closing sales deals, creating a sense of urgency. And, and then we shifted to 15 days. I'm trying to remember the exact reason I think because there was a piece of text somewhere on the app exchange that we couldn't configure. So we conformed to that piece of text. <laughs> don't don't yeah. quote me on that. that. That rings a bell, but I, I can't remember exactly. Well, I, I remember when we were looking at it, we were thinking about, well, you know, it all comes quite psychological. You, you shorten it, suddenly you've got like this time constraint and it forces people to make a decision. But then it, it could also play on the other way where you think, oh, well, actually, I'm not going to start that trial yet. I'm not convinced I've got a couple of days free in the next five days to actually dig into it yeah. and you just get it just gets pushed out and then dumps down the priority list again there's a lot that comes into it ultimately i think if, if they get in there and have a good experience having a way for them to say i want to pay i want to pay like getting that in there properly but also qualifying the difference between again kicking the tires a trial and a proof of concept which yeah. get conflated quite often but I, I like the concept of test drive it's a great way to just get in there and click about which mm -hmm. is quite often what people just want to do like a five minute trial yeah. and then i'm a big fan of just the customers for smb at least just installing the product and start using it i we, we like an admins in or whoever is your salesforce person your salesforce admin is kind of like the gatekeeper quite often yeah we don't we don't have the luxury of like an individual just being able to just sign up and start using a product and then it being adopted throughout an organization. There needs to be this person, this gatekeeper that says, yes, you can install that app in our Salesforce environment. That installation event is a big milestone in those SMB accounts because it means that, A, they're interested in this buy-in from whoever is that gatekeeper that they're going to install and start using it. Um, yeah. Like getting there, not necessarily quickly, but at the right time, or at least knowing who does that is, is quite important in kind of balancing that all up. Yeah, I agree. When you were talking about your days at Tequila, you talked about smart people. Tequila is 
did seem to throw out a number of different people who exploded into the ecosystem and either started their own business or became leaders in, in business. Do you think that's typical or there was something different about the environment at Tequila that enabled that? Hmm, that's a good question. I think that we, we had a lot of smart people when we started the business. We had some people that were highly visible and had good networks themselves. And I think that seed group of people attracted more people like them. And then the business eventually had built a recommend, uh, had built a uh, reputation for, for excellence within the ecosystem. It, it had a bold brand, which was a bit of a gimmick to get the ball rolling, right? But eventually, I think the, the people and the performance of those people became the brand. So that was key in attracting those kinds of people. And was there any part of you when you were looking at sales trip to look at another SI? It seems like now is a really good time to start a, a Salesforce SI. <laughs> People seem to do quite well in that business. Um, I do. So I would say my, God, I'm, I'm 40 this year. So my 20, 20, 22, 23 years of technology experience, I've probably split that half and half between consulting and product businesses. And I, I, I know that I prefer product businesses. I, I can perform <laughs> in a service business if I really need to, but I, I think product is really where my heart is. And I think when you're passionate about something, it becomes more than just work. And I think that will go a long way to making you more successful. What do you think is the, the difference then? When you think about working in a consulting business, an SI, or working in a product business, what makes it different to you? I wonder how many toes I might step on <laughs> but no matter what I say, I would guess ownership. So, I mean, having, having built a consulting business from the ground up, you obviously own that business. And it gave me an incredible sense of pride and achievement to see the successes that we have, the culture we built. But I, you're building a company of services, obviously. Whereas when you're building a product, all of the problems all of the successes, all of the functionality around that specific product are yours to own. So I think it's having a thing, a thing that you're building, a roadmap that you choose and having ownership of that for the entire duration of, of that business. I think we've kind of discussed this, you and I, a few, a few years ago. Yeah, like, I, I, I like what you mean about ownership. You, you own the decision, whether that was a success or a failure, you, you then own the right to then fix it or succeed. Something with that I always wanted to do more in consulting was actually go back and improve and improve and improve on the deliverable that you had. But within a services business, good enough is usually good enough. Exactly. You can kind of continue to enhance and polish and the 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 value that you get from small investments is amplified a lot because you've got a larger install base rather than essentially a customer of one, which is your, what your services business is creating. Exactly. And I, I, I highly recommend and appreciate the experience of being a consultant to anyone that ever wants to work in a product business because the diversity of experience is something incredible the opportunity to look into several businesses across the entire spectrum, whether it's industry-based or the size of the company or whatever, gives you insight that you just don't get working in a single business. 
but you are always on the outside looking in on other people's businesses until you have your own product which is you know enjoy that